Hello and welcome to Beyond Radio Podcasts. This is an episode in our series The Veteran Story, produced in conjunction with Morecambe Football Club Community Sports and the First Light Trust. In this series, local veterans recount their experiences of serving in the armed forces and life since leaving. The views expressed here are of the individual contributor. This is The Veteran Story. My name is Stephen Moore and I originate from Morecambe. In 1971 I actually joined the uh, Royal Air Force. Initially I I joined up as air traffic control. Uh, I did that for about a year and then I actually went air crew and and did about a year and a half's training to be air crew. In the end I actually served about 40 years in the Air Force. I left in uh, 2011 and um, when I left I was actually called a warrant officer uh, although in the aircrew uh, world it, you, your rank was actually uh, master aircrew but it, it was equivalent of a warrant officer I was always interested in aviation I was in uh, the air training corps uh, and that obviously gave me great insight into what it be- might be like to join the military the air training corps is just a fantastic organisation for youngsters and and obviously being in the air cadets the, the Royal Air Force was the uh, the service that I wanted to join I didn't really have any interest in joining the army and the navy although uh, my grandfather was in the army and my, my dad was in the navy and I think my friends and family were, uh, were really uh, delighted that uh, I'd made this decision to join up I think they knew it had been on the cards for a, for a fair few years. And and I was actually uh, 18 when I joined. I did work for a little while in uh, in Morecambe, driving a, a delivery wagon for a, a wholesale uh, merchant. But I uh, say I joined up and, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's difficult. You leave uh, your home, really, for, for what was the last time, I guess. And I never really thought I'd ever made a wrong decision about joining up. I really had a, a great time in, in the military it was a fantastic organization and as you'll hear I, I was quite lucky I I traveled the world a fair bit uh, especially as being aircrew you have a, a fantastic relationship with those that you serve alongside working in an aircraft as I did I, I worked initially on an aircraft that had about a crew of 12 uh, later on I worked uh, on an aircraft that had a crew that was over double that so you have to really work closely together as a crew it's all about teamwork uh, and these are the these guys and girls you're not just working with them eight hours a day in the air if you're on detachment you're also uh, spending 24 hours a day with them because you'll be uh, socializing with them probably staying in the same accommodation etc the various deployments i did took me really all over the world initially when i, I joined up i was on a nimrod that uh, did what was called anti-submarine warfare Basically, we were looking for Russian submarines. This this was the height of the Cold War. And we were looking for uh, Russian uh, naval vessels that were transiting past the UK and deploying down into the Mediterranean. And that job really took me all over the world. Um, we even did uh, detachments out to Singapore. Uh, this was in the, the mid-70s. Uh, these were called Mardets, which stood for Maritime Detachments because the the Russians would transit up through the Malacca Straits uh, just off Singapore when there were uh, ships would come from the Pacific Fleet going into the Indian Fleet and they would come past Singapore. So it was an ideal place to, uh, to, to watch them. 
So I went to Singapore. I was also very, very lucky that I went around the world twice in in the aircraft. We we sent a, a Nimrod out to Singapore, what we call Westabout. So went out through the States. Um, so I actually spent uh, one New Year's Eve in Hawaii, which sounds all very exotic, but it was only for one night. It was New Year's Eve. But uh, the next morning we got airborne from Hawaii, head, heading for a place called Wake Island. And of course, you cross the international date lines. So we went from the 1st of January to the 2nd of January in about an hour, which all seemed very, very strange. I've also managed to, to spend a, a little bit of time out in Australia. I got seconded to the Australian Air Force as well for four months, um, which was a great experience. I managed to get around a fair bit of Australia flying in, in an aircraft called the P3, and that was based in, in Adelaide in uh, South Australia. When you're in the RAF and, and flying as aircrew, we, we'd probably brief about two hours before a, a sortie. We collect all our bits and pieces together that we needed to take on the aircraft. My, my role at one time was to, to sign for all the codes that we used on the aircraft. We carried various codes that we used on radios, etc. And that was one of the jobs I had to do. Uh, we'd go out and we'd have to uh, pre-flight all the equipment we had in the the aeroplane, the equipment we were going to use that day. And and do simple tasks like loading all the rations on. If you're going off for eight hours, it's quite nice to have a meal on board, uh, and just prepare the aircraft ready for takeoff. And then uh, we'd we'd fly for uh, normally about seven and a half eight hours, but we could fly anything up to thirteen hours if we did air to air refueling. Um, and then those days then turned out quite long. Uh, and when we came back, we would have to then do a debrief. Uh, and that could take anything from sort of half an hour to three quarters of an hour, and then uh, eventually we'd uh, we'd get back to the accommodation. So there were, there were quite long days, and uh, often we'd we'd start fairly early in the morning as well. Sometimes we were briefing at five in the morning, uh, ready for a for a takeoff. Especially in hot climates, if we're operating out of the Middle East, then you know you didn't want to be taking off in the, in the heat of the day. Especially with an aircraft with a, a lot of uh, a lot of weight on board, it took a, a long takeoff run to do that. So we tended to try and take off uh, in the early hours of the morning. The first conflict I was involved in was actually the Cod War. So people of a certain age will probably remember the conflict we had with Iceland in the uh, the mid seventies when we were uh, trying to send trawlers up into the Icelandic fishing waters, and there was a di- big dispute about uh, how far out. Uh, the Icelandic waters went and we were up there really supporting the the navy the navy uh, ships were up there trying to uh, keep the Icelandic gunboats from harassing the uh, British trawlers and when we were there also because obviously we could travel a lot faster than a than a ship a warship so we could if a, a trawler was in trouble we could get to it quickly and take photographic evidence if it was being harassed by uh, the Icelandic gunboats um, so that was really the first conflict I was involved in, if you call it a conflict. The next major one is is the one that we've just been celebrating 40 years for. That was the Falklands conflict. And I was on one of the uh, the first Nimrod aircraft to go down to Ascension Island, which is a, a staging post in the uh, the middle of the Atlantic. We, di- we didn't have air-to-air refueling at the time. We were on uh, what was called a Mark I Nimrod and they were just bringing in a, an upgrade to that aircraft. But we were the first ones down there. But we could patrol into the South Atlantic, which is what we did. But we couldn't go um, all that far. We were still restricted to about seven and a half hours flying. 
then I was involved in the the Bosnian conflict. That that was uh, a conflict where we we would tend to leave base on a, a Monday morning, uh, fly down, uh, cover the Bosnian conflict, and then land into Italy. And we'd spend all week in Italy, working out of a base near Rome, and then we'd come back at the uh, at the weekend and another crew would would go down on the monday so it was a way of rotating the crews through so everybody got some experience flying uh, flying in that conflict and then of course gulf war 1 came gulf war 2 and then eventually uh, afghanistan conflict so i was involved in all of those never really had any doubts about what i was doing as service people you you know you are under the beck and call of the politicians so i always felt that what we were doing was was right so I never had any qualms about uh, about uh, going off on into these conflicts. Incidents that uh, stand out in my mind will on on the uh, ASW Nimrods that I flew on. Um, they didn't just do anti-submarine warfare. They didn't just search for Russian submarines or Russian ships. They did have other tasks they did as well. And one of those tasks was search and rescue, and it was it was always very very worthwhile to go out and and, and actually feel that you'd actually you know helped to a degree to save somebody's life uh, we used to have a, a nimrod on search and rescue 24 hours a day 365 days a year uh, they were either based at RAF Kinloss in Scotland or, or based down at uh, RAF St Morgan and I remember one incident where uh, a molasses ship it was called motor vessel victory it broke its back in heavy weather right out in the middle of the Atlantic I think it was off the Azores if I remember and uh, we got sent out out there and the the evening it broke its back some of the um some of the crew had tried to uh, evacuate the ship and they they climbed into one of the uh, dinghies and and gone overboard uh, and unfortunately they got swept away in the really bad weather uh, and a, a naval vessel managed to come alongside the victory and it was going to try and put a breacher's boy across to try and get the rest of the crew off because the vessel was listing really badly and, and the cables and that they kept firing across kept snapping off and when we got there in the morning they wanted to have another attempt to do this well our aircraft actually carries in uh, dinghies that we can drop out of the bomb bay uh, and there's a dinghy and then either side of the dinghy are ration packs all connected together by uh, rope and so we actually tried to drop the dinghy and the ration packs across both vessels so they could actually try and drag the the breacher's boy across but unfortunately that failed as well but eventually they they did manage the weather abated and they did man- actually manage to get the the crew off uh, and then the the ship just uh, drifted round for days i think it eventually headed towards portugal uh, before it sank but search and rescue was uh, was a, a, a you know a really really worthwhile cause and you, you felt very uh, you felt on a high at the end of the day when you landed knowing you'd you'd probably helped uh, people um i suppose the other highlight was actually trying to help richard branson on his uh, on his challenge to uh, to win the blue ribbon for great britain again he came across on something called the atlantic challenger it was like a high high powered speedboat uh, and we tried to to guide him across because he had to refuel in mid atlantic he'd they'd put out a load of uh, fuel tenders across the atlantic and we uh, we used to go along and uh, and home him into these fuel fuel tankers and then one day we were going out to meet him coming across the the finishing line at the silly isles 
Uh, we'd been with him all day. We, we had some press on board. They were doing uh, like a, a press conference with him. And we'd just literally left to fly back to uh, to our base at St. Morgan. And we landed at St. Morgan. I remember the, the crew chief plugged in and he said, what's happened? And we went, what do you mean? He said, well, it's just on the news that the uh, the sinking and they'd, they'd hit a, a, an underwater obstacle. So it couldn't have been many minutes after we left and that they actually hit this obstacle and started to sink. But the, the Navy took the glory. They came out and uh, and rescued them. I suppose you, you've always got in the back of your mind that you might, uh, you know, you're always going to put your life in danger. And I mean, that's for any serviceman. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, obviously, the army, especially in it, you know, in conflicts like Afghanistan. But obviously, flying in an aircraft can be quite dangerous. I was very, very lucky, really. I only had a couple of incidents that uh, you always felt were were uh, probably going to put your life in danger. We did actually have a, a fire on board the aircraft once. We had a, a cable, an electrical cable, that had uh, shorted out um, and, and caught fire behind some uh, some soundproofing. And then in front of that was like uh, some fascia in the fuselage. And uh, that uh, that caught fire and filled the fuselage full of smoke. And we, we had to take fire axes to the fascia and break it open and, and put the fire out. So that was, it took us seven fire extinguishers to get, get that out. But luckily we'd just got airborne. We're actually out in Florida. We were just finishing doing an air, an air show. Uh, that We'd done an air show that weekend and we're just he- heading back to the UK. Um, so we were, we were only just out of the airfield when this happened. So it was just a case of dumbbelling back and... Uh, landing on the airfield but it's it's incidents like that that you sometimes think yeah you know it is a dangerous job and i think the only other incident was in, in one of the conflicts we were coming into land in a an airfield in the middle east one night when we got a message saying that the they thought there were insurgents in the uh, in the undershoot and they had surface to air missiles so of course we, we had to hold off while the defense forces went out to try and search to make sure there was nobody in the, in the undershoot going to take a a pot shot at us so that uh, that definitely focuses uh, focuses your mind i was married when i was in the RAF. unfortunately my, my first marriage failed being in the services you, you're often apart from your spouse and your family and, and probably like in in a lot of uh, jobs and that uh, it takes its strain so my first marriage failed but uh, i've since remarried and i have uh, i have two children none of them actually wanted to uh, to join the military but uh, They've got uh, good jobs, so that's fine. I didn't actually take a decision to leave the service. I just uh, basically uh, ended up at uh, retirement age. When when you're in the military, you can have a sort of a short career or you can go right through 22 years up to age 55. And I was actually originally on till age 55. But because they, they were short of, of aircrew doing my job, they actually signed me on till 60. But then the the aircraft I was working on was retired. Uh, the Nimrod went out of service, so they put me out of service as well. But that was fine because uh, I, di- I didn't really want. I had about two years left, and I didn't want to go on the ground particularly. I'd uh, still enjoyed the flying, so uh, I didn't uh, have long enough left to do for them to retrain me on the new aircraft that was coming in. Uh, it wasn't worth it for the amount of service they would have got back from me. So uh, settling back into civilian life was absolutely fine. I actually did do a part-time job, which again was related to the RAF. Um, I had about a year out after I left the RAF and then went back and did what was called uh, bird control. 
I went strangely enough back into uh, into working in an air traffic control tower, just like when I first started in the RAF. And uh, my job was to go out on the on the airfield and patrol and try and uh, deter the birds from roosting on the on the runways or warning the aircraft if there was large build-ups of birds and uh, patrolling the airfield just basically uh, keeping the birds away if birds hit a hit an aircraft it can be it can be dangerous uh, and expensive i know that from the fact that one of our aircraft or the first air time we had a nimrod accident or fatalities in a nimrod was an aircraft up at kinloss that hit a flock of birds on takeoff um, it obviously was very very heavy because it was full of fuel uh, it lost three engines and it couldn't sustain flight and crashed into a forest and unfortunately the two pilots were, were killed but the the rest of the crew did get off so very very important job uh, bird control on a, on an airfield my personal feeling about the greatest benefit of being a member of the armed forces has to be the people you work with and and the relationships you build up. I say it's all teamwork on an aircraft and being part of that team, it gave me great, great satisfaction. Don't really have any regrets joining the military. I sometimes think I should have pushed on and perhaps tried to become something like a pilot, etc. But not too many regrets. I really enjoyed what I did and obviously made a, a full career out of it. I suppose the bottom line is having been in the Air Force for 40 years and then gone out and I did bird control for a couple of years working in the Air Force. So I've never really ever got away from the military because my volunteer role now is I'm a, a tour guide at the International Bomber Command Centre uh, just outside Lincoln at a place called Cannock. Uh, we have the International Bomber Command Centre which is a memorial for the 55,000 thousand odd aircrew that were killed in uh, bomber command during world war Two. it was actually 55,573 killed in operations and uh, we have a, a memorial wall there um, which actually has 57,000 odd names on because it also quite rightly includes the ground crew who did such a fantastic job servicing those aircraft for the uh, for the aircrew and that's exactly the same in the modern air, air force now without those ground crew servicing the aircraft the aircrew may as well stay at home so the ground crew in uh, the modern era and in world war Two did a fantastic job and also uh, on the memorial wars we've got ladies that served in bomber command some wafts were, were killed in bomber command as well so we tell the stories of bomber command and the sacrifices that those uh, those veterans made and it, it it it's a really really great way of meeting people i, I show veterans round i show uh, civilians round who probably have no concept of what uh, bomber command did but it's just a way of portraying uh, the sacrifices that all those men and women made and again it it, it gives me another little connection with uh, with the RAF and uh, we've got about 40 guides volunteer guides there and uh, out of that i'd say that probably 20 of us are, are RAF guys and actually quite a few are, are guys that i actually flew within the RAF so it, it keeps that little connection for me thank you for listening to the veteran story you can subscribe to the podcasts and visit the beyond radio podcast page at www.beyondradio.co.uk forward slash podcasts to hear further veteran stories as they are released for information on how the first light trust is helping local veterans visit www.
firstlighttrust.co.uk Beyond Radio 